Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, October 20th. Matt Bennett, Mackenzie, good morning. Guys, we had a hell of a rally in the corn market yesterday. Let's start off there. The December 23 corn contract closed above $5 per bushel for the first time since early August yesterday. Technical buying emerged following a sharp upward move in the calendar spreads. The nearby December to March spread gained more than $0.02 cents per bushel yesterday to close at a $0.12 cent carry. The spread had traded a low of $0.16 cents last week. In addition, some traders discussed the possibility of export business being shifted from Brazil to the U.S. because of issues on the Amazon River. Still, there did not appear to be one single fundamental catalyst for yesterday's 13-cent rally in the December 23 contract. I've got two charts we can look here, look at here. I actually think the move in the spreads is more impressive than the move that we saw in flat price. Um, I don't know if people understand this, but in this sort of environment where we've got kind of a weakish export program, we've got river issues, to rally the DeSmart corn spread more than three cents in the course of two days is actually an incredible move, Matt. Absolutely. You know, you're looking at building carry levels, you know, your stocks levels in the U.S., you know, let's say you're you're even 2.0, heck, I don't know. But 135 to 2, yeah, that's a big move as far as stocks are concerned. Of course, world stocks yeah. are huge. And so uh, to see calendar spreads move in that direction, instead of the other way around, <laughs> I've been thinking, you know, we'd probably see maybe a little more carry put in the market at some point, give folks a little chance to make those bins pay. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it was a very impressive move. Okay. So what people, the question that people are going to ask is why, why was these corn up 13 cents yesterday? Is it because it was a, a technical buying deal? We ran a bunch of stops above the market and, and it just inspired additional buying. Is it because the spreads, uh, triggered, uh, this rally, which triggered stops? Is it because there's talk about export business despite our river issues? What, what have you heard or what is your feeling? You know, some interest off the PNW as far as U.S. corn was concerned is, is one thing that we heard. And then, of course, you get about five bucks. Funds are quite short. You know, not not extreme, but definitely short over 100,000 contracts. And with that the case, you know, I think there was some short covering that, that went on. Now, can you expect this to take off and, and go like uh, like crazy? My personal opinion is no. Uh, it was a gift, in, you know, to see this uh, go up 10, 12, 13 cents. But, you know, if you get up to that gap that you were showing on your previous chart to five and a quarter, I think that would be an incredible move uh, that, that I just, I just. Uh, I That's going to bring your we'll cash price to $5 in, in many areas of the country, some areas. And I would think that you'd have a massive amount of rewarding going on of that rally, uh, given that being the case. Um, it's just my personal opinion, but you know, I, I don't expect to move to five and a quarter. But I certainly, uh, I certainly think there'll be people trying to make that case right now. Uh, it's not that far off, and you know what? Soybeans had a good day yesterday, also. Um, soybeans were kind of the follower, but we actually saw a similar move in the soybean calendar spreads, which again is interesting. So, I mean. It looks like there's there's a lot of things here that would signal me to believe that the harvest lows have been posted. I mean, we've rallied sharply off of the lows that were posted here in October, which is pretty normal stuff. It looks like the calendar spreads have bottomed. You and I talked about basis improvement earlier this week. I mean, it seems like everything is lining up. That's not a guarantee. That's no prediction of the future. But there's a lot of indicators. There's a lot of indicators there. Does that all make sense? Yeah, 
I mean, I think that, that a harvest low is pretty tough to argue against at this point. Uh, you know, I was talking, for instance, with Split yesterday, you know, just about the way that this thing is is moving. And this was before corn took off and went. And we both kind of agreed that for corn to continue rallying, if you will, you're going to have to have some strength out of beans. And so it was quite interesting yesterday to yeah. see beans languishing around. And finally, they look over and corn's up double digits and they decide, well, let's do something here and at least close on the positive side. So, you know, uh, it was interesting to see corn and wheat, uh, for instance, uh, you know, pulling beans higher, you know, yeah. but I just don't see corn, you know, unless there's something going on that you and I don't know about, you know, uh, maybe the China's talking about a massive purchase, you know, <laughs> you and I have discussed that that would change our entire scope of discussion uh, yeah. rather quickly. If that was the case, you know, I'm not hearing that just yet, but uh, by all means, uh, when they get started, who knows? You never know. Uh, let's jump to export sales. U.S. corn export sales declined declined slightly last week. Net corn sales of 35 million bushels were down 3% from the previous week and 15% from the prior four-week average. Mexico was the largest corn buyer. Net soybean sales of 50 million bushels were up 30% from the previous week and 92% from the prior four-week average. China was the largest soybean buyer. Net wheat sales Sales of 23 million bushels declined 3% versus the previous week, but increased 42% from the prior four-week average. China was the largest wheat buyer for the week. China is uh, still way behind where they were last year in terms of corn and soybean purchases out of the U.S. Chinese corn purchases uh, for this year are off 73% versus the same period last year. They've got like next to nothing on the books. Chinese soybean purchases are off 6.75 million metric tons. That's off 40% versus the same period last year. Now, we have improved. The corn book is looking more as if we could hit the USDA target, but hitting the USDA target means you still got a 2.1 billion bushel carry out at the end of the year, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you and I have talked about that. I think the overall increase in demand year on year, you know, is upwards of 500 million bushels. Uh, yeah. That's not just uh, exports. That's a little bit everything. But mm -hmm. uh, regardless, you know, that's a pretty lofty goal. But at the same time, if you do hit the export goal, uh, that's been your biggest concern, you know. I mean, yes, yeah. it's not what it was uh, for last year. USDA's trimmed that back. I think that it, 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 uh, you know, or for two years ago anyway. It, I mean, you've got to get your expectations uh, wrapped around this. Two point one, though, Joe is is that's still a big number. And I don't want to throw cold water on the fire here. I'm just talking about the reality of the situation. And so, yes, you can get a, a harvest bounce. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons that we've done so, but at the same time understand where, where your stocks levels are because you could, you'd have to have a massive amount of an increase in export business in my opinion to get below two well get the river to improve you throw a south american weather issue in there maybe you get it but for now it looks like maybe with, with corn you've got a better chance to hit the usda target which still leaves you in kind of a, a not so desirable spot China has approved GMO corn and soybean varieties. Earlier this week, China approved 37 GMO seed corn varieties and 14 uh, GMO soybean varieties. China is the world's largest importer of soybeans and corn, importing more than 100 million tons. The use of GMO varieties could increase yields and reduce future grain imports. It's unclear if commercial sales of GMO seed will be available next year. Beijing is still expected to control the area planted with GMO varieties. I don't think China has any interest in relying on the United States for anything as it relates to uh, 
corn or soybeans or anything else. I think they buy from the U.S. what they need, but it's because it's becoming more clear that the United States is is more of a residual supplier of corn and soybeans. It's going in that direction to China than it, it used to be, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, over the last year, of course, they start importing Brazilian corn. I think whenever you see that, you, you've got to understand the Chinese are just saying, listen, we don't want to deal with the U.S. unless we absolutely have to. Uh, we will uh, in certain cases. You look at the GMO situation, and if they do start planting GMOs, you look at what their average yields are, and they're just path uh, pathetic. Yeah. And so uh, that would definitely, as, as Kinsey suggested, uh, lower their reliance uh, on, on exports, if you will, uh, from other countries or imports uh, uh, from other countries. And so I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how this goes because they've uh, had this staunch uh, position for all this time that GMOs were going to kill the world, you know, and then all of yeah. a sudden they're like, well, shoot, we are importing all this crap. Uh, we're going to have to do something. You know, and, and so they're they're going to join the party, I guess. They're a low cost buyer. I mean, if if U.S. product is competitive, they're going to buy it. It's just we're not competitive. We haven't been competitive. Uh, soybeans are going to be competitive uh, moving forward for a little bit. Corn, I think, is going to struggle the way that it looks right now. Uh, some drought monitor stuff out. We did USDA released weekly drought monitor data yesterday. Heavy rains fell throughout portions of the U.S. Corn Belt this week. And as a result, drought conditions improved across southern Minnesota, southern Wisconsin, northern Indiana, northern Illinois, and eastern Iowa. Ohio also saw slight improvements, improvements in its northwestern region. Drought conditions worsened across northeastern Wisconsin and the northwest and southeast portions of Missouri. Across the High Plains, conditions improved in eastern South Dakota as well as in northern and eastern regions of Nebraska. When we look at the percentage of U.S. areas experiencing drought, corn country 50%, soybeans 53%, winter wheat 48%, spring wheat also 48%, and cattle country 44%. There's some rain in the forecast here. A lot of this is going to be next week. I guess there's three implications here that I can think of. One would be harvest progress. Two would be the river. Three would be maybe winter wheat. Um, what are you hearing on harvest progress? Man, is everything kind of moving? I, I know we've been ahead of schedule in terms of crop progress, but is anybody stalled? Anybody concerned? Yeah, I mean, the couple of the growers that I talked to in Minnesota over to Michigan, basically that upper tier, if you will, you know, they've had some harvest delays. Uh, I've got a guy in Michigan that say just every time he goes to the field, it rains a half an inch. So, yeah. you know, uh, bottom line is I think that uh, – some of your some of your areas that uh, I guess uh, were slower maturing. I mean, they're still picking twenty three to twenty five percent corn in some of those areas. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a challenge. It's a for as as lucky as I was uh, from a harvest weather and moisture standpoint. You know, these guys are, are getting the bad luck, and so uh, I sure hate it for them. Uh, I don't know that it's an expansive acreage, if you will. You know, I don't think that there's any question in my mind. You'll have soybean uh, harvest upwards of 70, maybe 75 percent next week, you know, whereas corn should be 55. Um, yeah. You know, and so once you get past the halfway point, obviously, uh, it changes the scope of uh, discussion. I think that's part of your part of your basis thing that you and I were talking about the other day as well. Could be. Uh, in terms of the river, uh, essentially no material improvement, still floating near record lows. And they're they're projecting a slight improvement here the next week, but this is still not uh, the greatest deal in the world. 
A sharp decline in bond prices continues to hurt investors. For generations, Americans have relied on a 60-40 investing strategy, 60% in U.S. stocks, 40% in bonds. The strategy is now failing investors. Last year, 60-40 investing lost 17%, its biggest loss since 1937. Bond prices have fallen as the Federal Reserve continues to raise rates. 60-40 investing typically delivers annual returns of 6% and works well in a recession. However, the strategy tends to falter when rates rise rapidly like we have seen here in the past year. I threw this story in today because I, I think what's going on in the bond market is very, very interesting. Um, we've had we had basically a 40-year bull market in bonds, which means a 40-year bear market in treasuries and yields. And now the bond market is I'm not going to say collapsing, but it's it's damn close to it. There's a lot of talk um, in the financial community about uh, we're not talking about spending again. The U.S. is funding two wars and we're talking about reduced confidence in uh, the United States and in the bond market. Is that what you see, Matt, or is this just a market that's kind of mean reverting over the course of like decades? It's probably a bit of a combination, but I don't think that confidence in the U.S. right now is all that great. I mean, you look at the clown show you've got going on in Washington. We can't even get a speaker, you know, in place. You've got yeah. basically a temporary person there. You know, I, there was an address last night. Um, I didn't want to uh, waste my time watching it. No offense. And I'm not talking politics here, but I did see snippets of it. And it's and it's borderline embarrassing once again. So, you know, uh, I guess my personal thought is that uh, – Boy, you know, moving forward, I think that there's a lot of question marks as to what the U.S. is going to do to get out of the situation. We're in. We got what, 33, 35 trillion in debt, but we're funding two wars. And so I assume that if we've got all that money sitting around, Joe, you and I are going to get a tax break this year, right? People have been talking about the debt, though, for years and years and years. I mean, you go back 10 years and it was just it was the same conversation, but a lower number in the trillions, you know, so like. How does how does all that stop? I don't I don't think that it does. I think it just kind of continues um, in terms of investing. Like a lot of the people that are watching here probably have a lot of money in farmland, but there are a lot of people who do the 60 40 thing. That's very popular across the country. And it's it's kind of uh, it's been a stinger here the last couple of years. And it's it, it kind of begs the question, like, where do you where do you put your money? What do yeah, you I mean? That that that's definitely going to be a big question moving forward. I mean, the thing about farmland right now, as you know, it's it's obviously uh, quite expensive, and so you know um, you're going to come into my part of the world and you're going to spend twenty, you know, to get a decent piece of dirt, you know, and so you know what what's it going to take to get uh, you know six percent return. 1200 bucks an acre, you know, I don't think anybody's going to pay you that with cash rent. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a little more of a precarious situation. The people that are buying that kind of farm ground, as you know, uh, aren't people that are looking for uh four or five, 6% return. It's likely a lot of folks that's got cash sitting around. And so, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the investor that is relying on this money uh, getting in their pocket in the next 10 years is the one that I'd be most concerned with guys like uh, uh, me and, and more so you, cause you're younger than me, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to continue investing in the way that I have. I mean, I'm going to throw a fair amount in equities and uh, close my eyes and wait on it to, uh, to grow later on. I've never been a huge bond guy. Uh, it's always been a very smart, small part of my <clears> portfolio, <throat> but uh, there's been times when that didn't look so hot right now, though. It looks pretty good. I uh, have never confession. I've never bought a bond in my life. I've been I've been 100% equities like since I was 
21 years old. Anyways, uh, what did the cattle market do yesterday? It doesn't, didn't look very good to me. No, it wasn't. Cattle futures took a dive on Thursday due to the surge in corn futures and worries over today's cattle on feed report. Feeder cattle futures closed an average of 483 lower. Live cattle futures closed a buck 77 lower on average. So as I just said, we have a cattle on feed report coming out today. That's going to be released this afternoon at two o'clock central time. On feed as of October 1st is pegged at 99.8% of year ago levels. If that number actually comes to fruition, that's only going to be 200,000 head short of the peak we saw back in 2019, which is pretty crazy considering how everyone has been talking about the shortage of cattle out there. Uh, placements in September is pegged at 101.6% of year-ago levels, and marketing's in September 90.2% of year-ago levels. So we'll just have to see how the market reacts to that later today. What's the report going to say, Matt? She's probably not too far off. I mean, the thing, once again, that you, you know, as a cattle person, what are you going to do? You know, whenever someone's offering you 1500 or 2000 bucks a head, you know, I mean, a lot of these people continue to throw heifers out there on the market or into the feedlot. And so, you know, I think that your cattle on feed reports, though, are going to progressively get more bullish. The problem is going to be beating the expectations on past this month. Uh, my personal opinion is that you know, your days at 99 uh, to 100% are going going to be in the rearview mirror uh, after maybe this report and next report. I think uh, Q1 of next year, I think it's going to be very interesting how tight we're going to be. Uh, but this sell-off, in my opinion, was, was almost uh, to be expected. I do think seasonally, though, you're going to be looking at a chance for this market to at least uh, get its feet under itself. Last thing I'll say is feeders. Yes, they they sold off four bucks, but uh, those that are buying them, uh, we'll see whether they actually see that happen or not because the feeder market's just been on fire. I would imagine that big sell-off in the feeders had something to do with the sharp rally in corn, which we haven't sure. seen in a while. Uh, outside markets on Friday morning, guys, U.S. dollars by flat. Stocks are off a little bit. Bonds up a little bit. Crude oil is up $1.14 in the December WTI at 89.52. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.